Today's episode of the Ticket to the Palette podcast will detail the effects of the coronavirus pandemic in the restaurant industry as well as the California wine industry. If you have been overwhelmed with coverage of the pandemic, we suggest that you listen to this podcast at another time. Welcome to the Ticket to the Palette podcast. As always, my name is William Whalen, and I am host of this shindig, uh, crazy times in the world, crazy times in the food and beverage industry uh, right now. And to kind of dive into some of the effects that we're seeing around the restaurant industry in particular, uh, I have brought on my good friend, uh, Nate Redner from Chicago. Nate, uh, what's going on, man? You're doing inventory today. Yeah, doing inventory, figuring out what we can flip and what we can sell. And... As far as uh, your restaurant right now, where you're at Bar Ramon, uh, which is for anybody who hasn't been in Chicago, as soon as all this craziness is behind us, please do go buy uh, a lot of wine and a lot of food at Bar Ramon and drink a lot of wine out of Peron at Bar Ramon <laughs> because that is one of their specialties. Uh, what Around what point of this pandemic did you guys start to reduce the capacity of people at the restaurant or really what, at what point did you guys notice any effects at all uh, of the coronavirus situation? Yeah, for Chicago, um, pretty much everybody ran all the way up and um, Governor Pritzker was fairly proactive when it started to become a, a bigger issue and um, more people were getting tested and diagnosed and um, confirmed cases. So pretty much every restaurant ran to capacity until that order was put in place and um as soon as we started doing that that was when we started exploring other avenues where um we didn't really see capacity restrictions it was just straight from regular business to shut down and That's crazy. Uh, yeah now we're we're all looking at um ways to continue to keep businesses afloat even as a big company like let us entertain you we're all getting pretty crafty and looking at um, carry out and delivery, which carry out at least in our downtown stores um, is really light right now. I think people are still a little weary to be out and about and even coming into restaurants. Um, so we're kind of consolidating that, you know, within brands, we have four Beatrix locations. Um, the three city stores are all combining to do out of one store, Ima and Abba, because they're um, some similar menu items, we're able to consolidate those and operate one and just kind of streamline and be smart with that. And now looking at um, selling wine as like a, a retail item and then um, looking at spirits and wine and beer delivered. It's kind of like the, the next phase of this. Wow. Now, there are how many restaurants in the Lettuce Group? We, nationwide, we have 128. Jesus God. Um, okay. So even as a very large restaurant group. And I think that's, that's part of the misconception is that, you know, this is only going to hit very, very small, very neighborhood centric mom and pop type of restaurants. And, you know, not that, uh, anybody in the world needs to feel bad for like Danny Meyer, uh, or anything like that because it's, you know, you know, life has, traditionally been quite well for him recently uh this is hitting everybody and everybody needs to take their own steps and as far as the 
the carry out and as you just mentioned, and this is the point that I really want to hammer home on, uh, the kind of morphing of restaurants into retail booze shops. Um, what I think a lot of people don't realize um, is that number one, many restaurants are not able to buy the same quantities of beer, spirits, wine as say like a, a Binnie's or a Total Wine, certainly like these bigger retail accounts, these big box stores where you so often get bottom pricing on these items. You don't, restaurants don't often uh, buy the wines and the other beverages at that same price. So restaurants aren't usually able to offer them, even if they did go to a retail model at the same price. Have you guys received any, you know, Mis, in my opinion, misguided and misplaced negative feedback about the fact that, you know, perhaps some of the prices that uh, a restaurant can offer on these items is higher than they might see at a kind of bottom scraping retail outlet? We're all pretty conscious of that right now. So as we've shifted towards moving um, product, not necessarily in the restaurant, but selling it as a, a retail thing, we've really changed our pricing structure. And for all of our to-go things, we are looking at making them um, very comparable to retail. And we understand that part of the restaurant pricing is being able to enjoy it with the hospitality provided in the atmosphere with the service. And then for the people in the fine wine market, really to no risk to them, you know, because if the bottle is, is flawed or incorrect in any way, we replace it, right? Whereas retail, you don't have the same luxury. So we understand that a lot of the cost built into our, our regular prices is because it comes with the service and the hospitality and the warmth that we're able to provide in the restaurant. So we're, we're really shifting the way we're structuring that in all of the restaurants that, that I'm operating and I help oversee the programs for. Um, and you look at even top tier wine programs in the city, everybody is being very, very cognizant of that because right now we just, we need cash flow. Right. Because the whole thing right now is that we have a responsibility to our employees and to our teams to keep as many people on payroll as we possibly can right now. And then bigger picture, whenever this clears, whether it's three more weeks or six weeks or eight weeks or whatever this is, we want every restaurant that we have right now to be there to come back to for our employees. Right. So it's, it's long term yeah. and we'll be able to rebuild wine programs. And that will be For the sure. fun side of it is when we <laughs> open our restaurants back up again, we get to build lists and get to this and start over. Well, and you get to tell your suppliers that, you know, I know we had this vintage of this rare wine, but gosh, I'd really be curious to know what this new vintage is tasting <laughs> like. And coming back through everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's like the thing that's kind of holding us through is that, we need to hustle a little bit right now. We need to be creative in what we're doing, put together some fun packages. We need to also put together new initiatives and make money for our businesses without spending money to do so. So it yeah. is like the, in the endearing enlightening side of this is that we see some real creative stuff come out of this. And we see some people that are getting really ingenious in, in how we're going to push this and what we can offer for people and continue to extend that same hospitality, even though we don't get to welcome people into our restaurants right now. Another aspect of this that I'm really curious about is, 
you know, not every restaurant, not every restaurant group is built like lettuce where uh, there's the size and the breadth, but also the structure to, you know, possibly provide some upward mobility to people like, quite frankly, like you, like you can start at a restaurant uh, at lettuce and work your way up. Uh, into a, a job that maybe isn't working the floor, grinding out 60 hours a week every single time. You know, there, there are not, uh, not every restaurant and restaurant group has that luxury. And what I've been hearing from a lot of people in the restaurant industry uh, that aren't in those kinds of places is that what they're worried about is the, the labor pool. You know, the labor pool, I remember in New York about two years ago, there was, I, every restaurant that I was talking to was, just being driven mad because the labor pool had really dried up. You know, the amount of people that were truly hospitality minded and truly wanting to make uh, hospitality and service their profession since the recession had dried up because, you know, uh, people that were maybe graduating college in 2008 through 2012, 2013, you know, maybe they would have been lawyers in the nineties, but uh, you know, in the, 2010s, you know, maybe not everybody was hiring investment bankers or, or, or what have you. And so for a lot of those people, they found themselves into service and hospitality. And a couple of years ago that uh, we started to see that that labor shortage uh, was real. And, and I'm curious if we're going to see that again from this. A big concern for people is what, you know, who's going to come back to work? Because obviously People that have been working in hospitality and service, they need to find income right now. And most restaurants and most restaurant groups are not able to provide them with income really for the last, probably for many people starting in the last week, week and a half. And so they're having to find other career paths that might have a more stable income for them. Uh, wh- I mean, what's your thought on that? Are, are we going to come out the other side of this and are we going to see a, a labor shortage? Are we going to see the exodus of people who had once thought that hospitality and service could be their career? Um, I think there will still be a lot of people committed to the industry, you know, and from our side, we look at continued growth and especially into new markets. I guess that's the bigger question for us is what that looks like outside of Chicago. You know, we're building a restaurant in Austin, Texas. We're building a restaurant in Disney Springs and looking at those labor markets, I think those are really big questions. You know, I, I do, and I say this understanding that we never want to benefit at anyone else's expense, you know, but I think there will also be a lot of restaurants that unfortunately don't reopen after this. So I think there's kind of like an equilibrium there of people leaving the industry and then unfortunately people that don't have the same job to go back to that will continue to seek employment within hospitality elsewhere. I sure hope so. Um, And just to provide a little bit more context for people who maybe they're not in the hospitality industry, service industry, we're talking about the restaurant industry in America employs more than 15 million people, right? There are over a million restaurants uh, here in the United States and there are a lot of efforts right now, uh, you know, on a national level from the National Restaurant Association and, and others that are trying to make sure that the restaurant industry workforce is taken care of by whatever stimulus bills uh, are passed through Congress. And look, I'm not a, a 
politically savvy enough to know what kind of deal they'll actually be able to get or what's reasonable or what have you. But on the ground level, what we've seen a lot of are, you know, GoFundMe pages uh, and fundraising by restaurants uh, and specifically by their owners, possibly their head chefs, what have you, that have been raising money from ideally their regulars, right? The people who have so very much enjoyed spending time at those restaurants and gotten to know the staffs, but also just generally from people that are looking to support the restaurant industry. We're seeing those funds get raised to, again, pay PTO or make sure certain staff can stay on at reduced hours, what have you. So, and I, and I don't mean to be uh, cynical about these things, but what, what I worry is that we are missing an opportunity here to make wholesale change to the restaurant industry, to labor laws, to the way that people in the restaurant industry are compensated. And that at the end of the day, we might come out of this and everybody might have thought that the only thing that killed these five to seven million jobs that we're looking to have lost uh, from the coronavirus situation in the restaurant industry will be the coronavirus. I don't want us to gloss over the problems and the, the real issues that exist within the restaurant industry just because we're raising a bunch of money for staff, et cetera, et cetera. And so this kind of tirade and, and soapbox is to ask you on, on a very personal level, I'm, I'm really curious, like what was your initial thought when you saw these GoFundMe campaigns uh, because I'm not trying to shout them down or, or say that they're malicious at, at all. I'm just I'm just curious if like this is the stuff that's going to cover up the real issue here, which is that restaurant work is grueling. The skilled laborers that carry out this work are vastly underpaid, especially in the kitchen. And it seems like this crisis isn't going to do anything to fix that when I think maybe uh, we have an opportunity to address it. Yeah, I mean, now is the time where the light and the, the attention is really on the industry to focus on that. I guess the my thought on the GoFundMe's, I think it's a, a fantastic idea. You know, how many times have people that we are asking for a little bit of assistance to help cover our employees' wages and salaries and provide benefits for them? I guess this is kind of the same time that they would ask us for a gift card or to donate product or our time right, or to come to right. their charity event or donate our space. I guess this is kind of the other side of that where we're now asking for a little assistance there. You know, I don't really know what it takes for large scale reform to look at what, what wage discrepancies and um, you know, what we're being paid, not just everybody, but, what the really grueling positions in restaurants are being paid. I think that's still a, a bigger discussion, you know, that I hope we're able to address and kind of tag team on this, but I think it's a, a bigger issue than right yeah. now because a lot of people are just thinking about getting through no, the next two months, three months, whatever it is. That's a great point. And, and again, I, I can be a little too cynical at times, but, I just, and you're right. The number one concern is making sure that staffs can be taken care of as much as possible and that their bills get paid, right? That the lights stay on, that the water keeps flowing, the, the roof of their heads remains there. Uh, 
So I guess what I'm, I'm also curious about is looking forward. I mean, what kind of changes realistically are we going to see to the restaurant industry? Are we going to, I was talking with somebody the other day and they said that they thought that this could truly, truly cripple much of the fine dining in this country that's outside of, you know, New York and San Francisco, which are financial and tech hubs as they are. Right. Uh, and we, and we might see more of a migration to true widespread fast casual, um, I'm curious, what's uh, what's your thought? We've got Michelin star restaurants doing fucking takeout now. Uh, it's fascinating. Alinea's doing takeout right now. Pardon? Alinea, three yeah. stars in Chicago, doing takeout right now. Last week they did um, like one meal a week and they're doing beef wellington and then next week they're going to do some sort of roasted chicken dish. And it's like, I think moving forward, we're seeing people being really, really creative on finding new revenue streams. And I hope that is the positive that comes out of this is that when our restaurants get through this and when everyone else in Chicago gets through this and in in the rest of the United States is that we come out and we say, Oh man, maybe we should be selling more carry out. Maybe we should look at more wine retail. Maybe we should look at these opportunities to capitalize on this and offer more to our guests, whether they're dining in the restaurant or not. And I, I think that's the positive side of it. You know, I hope that it doesn't cripple it. I, I don't want to see any restaurants close, but I unfortunately know that a lot of them will. So the ones that continue on the other side are probably just a little bit morphed, but we still focus on what we do best, right? Like if, if from the beginning we were best at doing things, delivery and carry out only, we probably would have focused on that from the beginning. But if we can be a little more multifaceted when we get through, then I think everybody's better off. I like that point of if, yeah, being who you are, uh, because I have to think that there are plenty of restaurants out there that would completely suck at fast casual. uh, And that quite frankly, that's not what people would enjoy them for. Um, I think the larger question here is not just what the restaurant industry will do, but what consumers will do. Right. Because at the end of the day, uh, if a, you know, if a congressional stimulus package props up the economy and, and keeps Wall Street bros going out for porterhouses and DRC, then, you know, certain fine dining restaurants will, will always be fine. But with a recession comes, you know, again, people just don't have the kind of disposable income that they might have. And if I remember correctly, and, and others might have data that proves this wrong, and, and that's totally fine. I, I hope I'm not passing this off as gospel. But especially after 2008, what we really saw was the collapse of the middle, right? The, the dining options that, that were very much like Bar Ramon, uh, were very much like so many of the restaurants that I think all of us truly have a deep, deep love and passion for. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, Boeing executives can just uh, trigger stock buybacks and give themselves raises and go out to the most exclusive and expensive restaurants in the world. But the rest of us, you know, maybe we don't have the money to go spend $100 for um, uh, a dinner for two or three on a Thursday night at a place like Bar Ramon like we might have. We might have to go uh, to something, you know, we might have to go to Portillo's or something like that. So I'm I'm very curious to see what the dining public will do depending on how this recession comes about and, and what impact outside of the restaurant industry is had because it's not just going to be restaurants needing to pivot. It's going to 
really be us all watching to see what it is that consumers do. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how people dine on the other side of this. You know, and then again, it's still on us to continue to operate well and treat people well and put out really good product and extend warm hospitality. And if that shifts the way that we do things and we focus more on delivery options and whatever it is that people are, are asking for when we get through this, you know, there are a lot of smart, creative people in our business. And I think that's why it's so fun. You know, the strong restaurants and the smart operators and the people that work hard will do very well. I hope so. I really do. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, I'm, I'm curious also, I'm just curious about all this because we don't, we don't know shit, shit right now. Uh, you know, we are still in the first couple of weeks of this thing. And the wine industry is in a really, really weird place right now because wineries in California, I believe also in Oregon and Washington have been instructed to close their tasting rooms, which is a huge driver of direct-to-consumer business for these wineries, which is, uh, for those who don't know, where many of these wineries make most of their margin uh, because oftentimes going through the wholesale channel, you really gotta you you gotta cut your margins a little bit to make sure that your wines are competitive in that market. This is also on the heels of two or three straight years of devastating wildfires, uh, particularly in Northern California, that were covered by newspaper outlets and uh, television media as though the entirety of Sonoma was burning. Uh, when Sonoma is the size of Rhode Island, you know. Uh, the entire state of Rhode Island was not on fire, uh, but tourism is down. People are not visiting uh, Northern California wineries uh, in the same numbers as they were before. And so this is a really precarious time because we're heading into the summer season where people flock to Northern California and they flock to wineries and they like to spend a lot of money in their, you know, wavy hats and sundresses and, uh, corduroy pants like this is this is the time of the year for it uh, and these wineries are missing out on that business as a program director as somebody who works the floor as a sommelier what would you like to see from restaurants specifically when we get to the other side knowing that we don't know exactly what it'll look like what would you like to see with regards to domestic wineries? Because at a program like Bar Ramon, certainly you have domestic wine, but uh, when we're eating paella and patatas bravas, the, the idea of Spanish wine just works so well. Will wine, will restaurants have a, a, a duty, a responsibility, or, or simply a role in helping these domestic wineries get through this all? Yeah, you know, I certainly think we do when we get through this. And when we, we look at that, fortunately, my position allows me to have a, a little bit um, of autonomy and uh, a little more wiggle room. You look at a, a brand like Beatrix that I also work in that is um, four locations, a primarily domestic list. Like we can really push there. ABBA, we can really, really push. A handful of the other concepts that I work in, we can do that stuff. And um, 
you know, we try to support those people, especially the people that we have personal connections with. And if that means doing a wine dinner, focusing on that, or bringing people in and pouring stuff by the glass, like really cheap just to get it in front of people. You know, I think there are a lot of ways that we can support that. And again, fortunately with the company that I'm in and the role that I'm in within that, we have a lot of outlets and, and opportunities to support that. But I don't really know what it looks like on the other side, you know? Yeah. Wow. Well, Nate, I, I really appreciate you hopping on. Uh, obviously, you know, we're all, we're all feeling this. Uh, we're all very anxious to see what everything looks like on the other side. Uh, but what I think is the bottom line uh, is that if, if at the very least we come out with more diners having the understanding of how precarious the restaurant industry is in terms of cash flow, and the ability to withstand, you know, four days without diners, five days without diners. Uh, I hope that it will truly, truly shift the way the public views uh, the importance of supporting these local restaurants. And, and even more than that, the role that uh, restaurants like Bar Ramon, uh, like the other Lettuce Entertain You uh, outlets, and like many restaurants in Chicago and here in San Francisco, what these restaurants uh, play as far as a role in our neighborhoods and the, in the culture of our city and the backbone of our city and the identity of our city. Uh, because gosh, I mean, you mentioned Alinea doing takeout, like you, you have to think what would, what would fine dining in Chicago look like uh, from a, a national perspective right now without Alinea? What would, what would Chicago's restaurant scene look like without lettuce? Like what if lettuce had to, go out of business or, or fold. Obviously I'm not saying that's on the table, but you know, these drastic things, uh, these places are very much woven into the fabric of what makes a city like Chicago, New York, San Francisco great. Uh, and, and I hope that we come out the other side with diners having a little bit more of an understanding of that and, and being willing to support it at the bottom line, if nothing else. You know, you know I think the message for everybody in hospitality right now is that, stay the course, right? Everything good that comes back to us in this industry is through attrition. You know, it's, it's hard work and you treat people well, manage relationships properly and keep your nose to the grindstone, you know? And like I said a couple of times before, there are so many smart people that work in this industry that are creative and like to hustle and will figure out ways to get through. You know, it's gonna be an interesting road, but everybody that is working at this right now deserve some support and I hope people are, are coming out and getting takeout and carry out and getting wine from us and, and yeah. finding some sense of normalcy because that's what we help provide. Yeah. Well, brother, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, I know that along with myself, anybody who listens to that to this uh, is sending their best your way. If you're in Chicago, uh, a find Nate on Instagram. If you, if you like looking at delicious loves of bread uh, is, <laughs> Nate Bredner. Uh, but also just make sure that you're reaching out to Bar Ramon and other outlets to see what you can do to support them through this time. Uh, brother, be well. Thank you so much Thanks, for sir. coming on. Talk to you soon, man. All right. To get the perspective of the California wine industry, we sat down with Tyler Elwell of Halcyon Wines. I am here with Tyler Elwell of Halcyon Wines. Uh, Tyler, things are... Yeah. Just going absolutely nuts out there. Uh, how are things up in Napa with you? 
Well, it's a very, it's a very calm nuts. <laughs> because everybody's yeah, just going crazy in their own everyone's, homes. Yeah, because everyone's going crazy in their own homes and they're locked up with their kids going crazy. Um, but it's, you know, I, I was, I think I was going for a walk yesterday, which we do quite often. Um, and I was, you know, it's like springtime, flowers are out. The sky was like gray with clouds and but light was shining through it was this beautiful blue and you know birds were singing i'm like if it wasn't for a fucking pandemic right now life would be like as good as it gets (laughs) i swear to god i was like i've got great kids i've got an amazing wife all these great things and then there's and then there's the shadow of the the pandemic where we're all self-quarantining and trying to stay safe have you managed largely to avoid too many doomsday apocalypse scenarios in your head? Because I have to tell you that I have not been able to avoid such things. I, I mean, You're running been, through them all, huh? It's World War Z in your head all over again, huh? Oh, my God. We're just missing, like, shotguns and zombies. That's the only thing that's missing from this I being think, a full-on thing. Yeah, or maybe, like, an asteroid coming towards Earth, and we've got to send Bruce Willis up to blow it up. That's yeah, the only that, other thing I can think of. That would work too. I mean, hopefully Ben Affleck doesn't, you know, just screw the whole thing up again. That would be nice. Ooh, I'm not putting I'm not putting the fate of the world on Ben Affleck's <laughs> back. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know he's seeking help. I you know, I wish him the best, but no, not on his yeah. back. No, there there are other candidates that we will seek out. Um well I just talked to Nate Redner, who's a sommelier wine director with the Lettuce Entertain You group of restaurants out in Chicago. And we've been talk- we were talking about just, again, the broad impact of, of coronavirus. So much of this people already know that we are, you know, restaurants around the country have either closed or have pivoted to uh, takeout delivery options, et cetera, uh, that we're looking at losing between five and seven million restaurant jobs from a workforce that makes up over 15 million Americans uh, working in over a million restaurants here in America. What I think has been largely underreported is the effect that all of this is having on wineries. You know, I think we live in a bubble a little bit out here in San Francisco where the San Francisco Chronicle has a, you know, a, a really talented wine writing team and you know they're going to cover something as big as this that's local with the wine industry here but you know somebody in Ohio somebody in Tennessee somebody in Texas may not be as familiar with with what's going on because you know they don't really have much of a local wine scene and you know their wineries maybe aren't being shuttered like we're facing out here so to kind of recap wineries have been asked to instructed to, pardon me, close their tasting rooms. Now, Halcyon doesn't have an active tasting room, but you guys did just have uh, your spring release party get postponed, which Mm -hmm. was supposed to happen this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep, Saturday. Now, if if you're a winery that, you know, maybe you have a tasting room or you have some sort of event like this where you're gathering people together and you know, hoping that they buy a bunch of wine, how, what kind of effect does closing a tasting room or postponing these events have on wineries that aren't owned by the likes of Constellation, Gallo, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know that um, the margins 
with direct sales are uh, much better than selling wine through distribution. That's obvious. Um, I don't think I need to explain that one. But, you know, the Napa Valley and Sonoma, um, there's a lot of family-owned direct-to-consumer businesses here. And so, you know, their, their, their bread and butter is selling directly to the consumer and that's how they make their money. It's difficult this day and age to uh, get distributors in other states or even in this state. And so a lot of what these companies have done and, and whether it's by choice or by uh, the lack of opportunity, they've put all their eggs into one basket and it's a direct to consumer model. So when, when, when this, when wineries are shut down, taste rooms are shut down, they're basically the only revenue spigot that they have gets shut off. So, you know, I can't speak for, for them because that's not really our model, but a lot of them, um, you know, they're, they're not, there's no money coming in other than maybe some online sales, but you know, I, maybe they'll get one or, you know, maybe they'll get a small number of online sales, but I think that for the most part, um, that's not a huge revenue stream. Right. People, I I don't, I don't know how much people realize that a most winery websites uh, look like they were made in the eighties and B, you know, the, the infrastructure uh, that it takes to sell wines on your own through your own website is very expensive. You know, the, the fees between the likes of square or stripe, what have you. And Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's vine spring or the warehouse that you store out of that's trying to fulfill one bottle orders, like the fees really stack up. They do. Exactly. Absolutely. That's why we, we, we bootstrap everything. So we do. Right. We found, we, we find workarounds around that, but yeah, it's for the, for the normal mom and pop or any winery, there's a lot of, entities skimming a little bit off the top for sure but they're all you know offering services that that you either need through Mm -hmm. compliance or through um just necessity yeah now for others uh, another big source of cash flow and and wine movement is the wholesale channel Uh, Mm -hmm. but and this ties directly into my conversation earlier with nate of a lot of we'll start with wine shops in in several states wine shops have been declared an essential business uh which i think in you know in the state of colorado they saw the lines that were uh forming outside of liquor stores and pot shops and so they just declared those essential because it was ridiculous uh but Nonetheless, you know, whereas retailers might be having a lot of success at this time, if they're able to offer curbside pickup or delivery, restaurants are obviously being pummeled. And for a lot of brands and a lot of wines, restaurants are really the bread and butter. Maybe you get Mm -hmm. a a glass pour or you really need like a sommelier to sell your wines. It's kind of a wine list wine. When it's on the shelf at a retail shop, it might just not have the same success. When the wholesale channel dries up in the way that it has, I got to ask, like, what the fuck is a winery to do? 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, we're still trying to figure that one out, I think. But, you know, you, you bring up a good point because a small brand like ours, you know, we're in retail in some states, but we're not in grocery retail. We're not in large volume retail, right? So that's there's no way to move large volume through retail for us. It's the wrong price point. We're kind of obscure. You know, our labels are really cool, but, you know, some people don't want to take the leap. Right. But when it comes to when it comes to BTG by the glass placements, there's definitely a lot of opportunity to move volume in those accounts. And unfortunately, essentially every state that we're in, um, you know, they're they're more or less shut down restaurants. Um, so so those large, you know, volume plays for us large. I mean, talking a couple cases a month maybe um, are are shut down. So basically, you know, we're at a standstill right now. You know, no one really knows what the future holds. Um, this idea, and not getting into politics, this idea that, you know, all of a sudden the clouds are gonna part and, you know, Easter Sunday is gonna bring us back to church and we're all gonna just live happily ever after is ridiculous and that's not gonna be the case. And so, you know, as far as working with our distribu distribution partners, you know, there's going to have to be, you know, we're trying to be as understanding with the predicament that they're in. And, you know, there's outstanding invoices that are owed to us that we expect those to be paid on time because those wines have already been sold in their markets. But, you know, there's also, if there needs to be, you know, an increase in terms instead of a 60 day payment, it needs to be 90 because they need to get back on their feet. Like that's all negotiable. Um, there just needs to be open communication between both sides. Um, and we haven't come across that right. case, but it's just, that's just scenarios that I'm going through in my head. Um, but yeah, it's at a standstill. Everything is at a standstill. Everything other than grocery stores and, and our wines don't sell in grocery stores. What and, they're, and they're killing it. I'm sure. Right. I have to imagine what yeah. what is the effect? I mean, we we obviously don't know the answer. I'm I'm curious what you think. What kind of effects are we going to see long term for brands of your size, like ones that are already in business? Because I have a lot of thoughts about what's going to happen with uh, the lack of brands popping up in the next five to seven years. But I'm curious mm -hmm. what you think about brands that are already established that are kind of in your wheelhouse mm -hmm. in terms of your price point, your size your message because this is you know I, I don't you know i i hate to label uh i hate these labels and i hate to apply them to you like new california stuff like that but mm -hmm. you guys are kind of if we're to apply a timeline to it you guys are kind of like the the new new right like the yeah these brands that came right after this new wave that are not riding coattails but like among the same uh, making wines of the same ethos, obviously with your own thing to it. Like a lot of these brands are still in their relative infancy. Right? Yeah. Well, they're so going to go, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to go out of business. Um, mm. There's a lot of, there's, there's, you know, and I don't think it's just with wine labels. I think it's going to be a lot of businesses out there, whether they're restaurants or, um, you know, wine bars or, or any, there's going to be a ton of businesses that are going to go out of business. And we've been riding a wave for 
11 years of a really strong economy and it's just been growing and growing and growing and new labels are popping up all the time. Um, and there's, it's been great because there's been a ton of great wine out in the market. Um, but I think, you know, depending on how long this lasts, um, there's definitely going to be brands that go out of business. Um, and I think that's, it's a shame for the consumer, um, because it's gonna, there's going to be less choice. Um, but I also think that, you know, this, the wine making business wineries, people like us, it's a very tough business to be in anyway. Um, either you get a large amount of money from someone or it got passed you down in your family or you work another job and do this as a side hustle. But other than that, like it's really hard to make money in this business. So a lot of us are already kind of, you know, it, it, we're not rolling in the dough. So, you know, something like this, where there's a contraction, where there's a pause on sales, where there's a, you know, the consumer is now comfortable spending 15 to $20 a bottle and not 30 to $40 on a bottle. That's gonna, you know, rearrange the, the, the playing field a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 that's just my initial thought. Like I said, if this, you know, if, if the Messiah parts the clouds and this thing's over in a month, in a month, then I, I think we kind of go back to normal. If this thing continues for two, three, four, five months, um, there's no way that, that businesses can continue because they haven't been selling wine and, and then they don't have money to buy grapes next year or they still owe money from last year or, you know what I mean? Like this is, there's only so long that your landlord yeah. is gonna forgive you on your lease. And, and there's, at least for us, like our brand is about getting in front of people, telling the story, pouring the wines, like mm. building relationships. We're all in the, we're in the building of the relationships business. And so if I can't go work a market or if Kimmy can't, you know, get in front of a room and talk about the wines, like that's our bread and butter. We can, our website's clean. We can do fun stuff on Instagram. You know, we can come up with different marketing kind of ideas and strategies, but really to move the needle, needle, we need to be in front of people. And that's the exact opposite of the reality right now. Yeah. You know? So um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. If if it all goes to shit, I've got like twenty cases at the house. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got you know they're they're you know they they're they're ready to be sold and can be shipped from the house. But talk to me in a month, and and we'll be down a couple cases for sure from our own consumption. Yeah. yeah. What do you? I mean, what do you think is I'm trying to figure out a, a, a way to answer this question or ask it. Is there any, any silver lining, you know, possibly in the idea that, you know, through hardship, generally evolution comes, right? Yeah. And 
we mentioned earlier that the wine industry seems to be trapped in uh, uh, you know a time warp in the mid '80s. Uh, but is this what it's going to take to get people to embrace the digital age, where like every other uh, consumer good, it seems like, can be bought and sold easily online and across state borders? So, wine is very different, obviously. So. Yes. So absolutely, there's going to be good that comes from this. And I had this epiphany the other night, probably after drinking a couple glasses. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're all drinking more, at least uh, we're all, I'm, at least me, me and Kim, at least I say we all. Right. But, um, you know, I had this idea. I was like, you know what? Everyone's worried about missing the millennial. The millennial doesn't get wine. You know, they're into white claws and you know, craft spirits and kombucha and weed and all this stuff. I'll tell you what, though, there is no better alcoholic beverage to drink when you are stuck in your home than wine. It is when everything slows down, when you're not inundated with a bunch of bullshit all day long, although you may be, you know, because you're working from home, I get that too, and you have your kids around and all that. But when you're actually kind of stopped, and you don't have anywhere to go, and you don't have all the distractions, and you just got you and your family, your girlfriend, your wife, your dog, whatever, and you're in your home, there is no better beverage than wine. Because wine is meant to be, is you slow down with wine. You, 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 you sip wine while you're cooking. You, you sip wine while you're listening to music. You, mm. you swirl it. You don't just drink it. It's like this whole slow down. So, like, I think that there's going to be a little, even if no one recognizes it, like, it's not like, wow, you had an epiphany, but like this little tweak in people where I, I think if people can get some wine in them, if younger people can get some nice bottles of wine at their house, it's going to click and they're going to understand it. And so I think that there is going to be that little, that little change now, you know, who knows? That's just a, a kind of a, a little epiphany I had the other night. So I think that could be a silver lining. Um, another silver lining is shit. What was it? I had another silver lining in there. <laughs> that was a fuck. This is recording too. I forget. I had another <laughs> silver lining. Um, what was the question of silver lining just out of all well, of this? Especially, you know, when we talk about uh, digital sales. Oh yeah, uh, digital sales. Yeah, digital yeah. sales. So the other silver lining I think that you're going to see is I think that, and you've seen it a little bit already. There's been some like relaxation in alcohol laws, like they're temporary, right? But it's like, oh, you can take this to go. You can take this to go. Like, I've got, um, you know, I've got an idea. It's a pretty cool marketing idea that we're going to roll out either today or tomorrow. And I guess I'll just tell you now, when is this going live or when is this going uh, being uploaded? It'll be uploaded Thursday morning. Okay. So what we're going to do is, um, you know, you know, people have been, you know, on Instagram and, and through emails, you know, doing, you know, buy six bottles of our wine and we'll reduce shipping or we'll give you a 20 yeah. discount. Right. Just cool. Like, that's great. Like that was the first idea I, I thought of too. But I was like, everyone's doing it. I want to be a little more creative and kind of have something a little more impactful. So 
what I came up with yesterday is what we're going to do is we're going to include a gift card from one of our favorite bars and restaurants. Hell a yes. three, a three bottle purchase, a six bottle and a case purchase. So we're going to be featuring awesome. cadet, the wine bar here in town. Who's been big supporters of ours. And we love them and they have no fucking income right now. So what we want to do is if you buy 12 bottles from us, we will include a $50 gift card from cadet which we are buying this isn't mm. in it with cadet that's money that we're coming out of our pockets to support our community and also incentivize you to buy from us right because i was like if i just discount shipping i still got to pay the shipping the shipping company is just <laughs> right. getting richer the right. fuck like they're just like getting more money so i'm like because so you're not that- seeing discounts from from common carriers no, oh. no, no. <laughs> so so but this is the thing this is the thing about this and, and, and who knows how long that's going to last. Cause I know that that, well, I'm not going to say no. I assume that we're, that's, we're out of compliance by doing that. Right. We can't, I can't buy a gift card from a, a retail or a bar and include it in one of my shipments. Or I can't do that with a restaurant because I'm sure that there's some sort of tide house laws there. But what I'm still going to do it. We're still going to do it. Um, and I'm going to probably hear from the ABC or the TTB. But it's going to, and I'm going to put it out publicly if I do. And the thing is, though, is that, you know, we need to start pushing up against some of these archaic laws. Yes, yes. And I think in these times of need, when we all need to be in this together, when, you know, people, you know, restaurants are hurting. Can they sell, they don't have a retail license. Can they sell a bottle to go with the meal that you're picking up from their place? Yes. And, and they have made some of those laws. They've relaxed some of those laws temporarily. Now, once these governments and these lawmakers realize that the world didn't end because someone was able to put a bottle of wine in with it to go, you know, order, maybe that can be something that we can talk about having it as a permanent law. So I think there are going to be some rethinking of how alcohol laws have been since basically prohibition. And I think that might tie into digital sales. Um, And I know, who knows? I I could be thinking way too big and, and that shit won't happen. But I do see that there's already been some kind of relaxation of laws anyway. And I think that we should keep that momentum going even when this thing goes away. First and foremost, I completely agree. I love what you're doing. If the TTB or ABC comes at you, uh, I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll raise hell. Uh, yeah. I don't, again, I don't know. what We'll find the person who wrote you the notice and we'll find them on Instagram and just tag them, like hate tag them. Yeah. And, we'll, we'll, really yeah. and mature. Yeah. It would be effective yeah. and mature. Well, have you seen, have you seen like the meme of the big black dude that's going around on all the. Yes. So we're just, that's, they're, they're, they're going to be, some, they're going to be part of that meme somewhere or another. Did you, I don't, I don't want to discuss it too much, but it turns out that <laughs> that guy's dead. Uh, Vice, oh, Vice, really? like Vice went on an investigative track uh, to track him down, uh, and they found him on a uh, website where one can s- solicit services. Uh, and turns out that he passed away, unfortunately. So, oh, all right. well, all right, 
yeah, not his, to... his, 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 his legacy does live his on. legacy lives on forever. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the wine industry is a $61.8 billion industry. And that is with the federal government and, and individual states doing everything that they can to make consuming alcohol in this country uh, just incredibly difficult. And that was actually my last subject for our talk today was like, is this, is this the time, right? Is this the time when we rise up uh, and we somehow make an impact uh, against these archaic regulations? Like you, you want to know how you can protect this wine industry, a 61.8 freaking billion dollar industry tomorrow. You can do it tomorrow by giving every winery in the country a license to ship to any single state, no matter what. Yeah. You know, they got to pay taxes in the states where you have to pay taxes. You got to report the shipments. Sure. All that's great. But if you want to save the wine industry from an indefinite direct-to-consumer lull and wholesale lull where you're going to see, I agree with you, wine brands fold. Some of the most, quote-unquote, exciting young wine brands that people have been uh, clamoring about in in magazines and newspapers, online, Instagram, or whatever it is, are going to be gone. Uh, Mm -hmm. Depending on how long this goes, you're completely right. And if lawmakers gave a shit, and wanted to make a difference, tomorrow, pass an amendment or something that allows every single winery in this country to ship to consumer no matter where they are in the country immediately. Because it's coming, right? This is coming. In in 10 years, you'll be able to sell wine in Utah, uh, direct to consumer. It'll be wonderful, but it's gonna take some time. You know, the- It's gonna have to be 3.5% alcohol. Right, right. We're gonna we're gonna all sell. Uh, oh God, what's what's the what's the style of alcohol? Uh, Martha Stewman made one of these. Oh, the the Verdure. Um, yeah, Verdure yeah, Verdure, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, you know, we'll we'll be sending those to Salt Lake City, but yeah, like this is gonna happen. The writing is on the wall. The momentum is here, anyways. And think about how popular a why uh, a legislator would be if they backed this bill, like. The only people you're going to piss off are crazies. And you're going to do that anyways. Like, no matter what you do, you're going to piss off crazies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, So there's, it has yeah. to happen. And it, can, and it can happen. Well, you know, I think, yes, absolutely. And I think that the wine industry needs to stand up to the crazies and these neo-prohibitionists. And we got to start getting the messaging out that wine is God's nectar and it's healthy in moderation. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that, you know, that's going to have to go with a little bit more transparency from the wine industry as well. Um, Agreed. Agreed. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no reason that, I don't know. It's, you know, it, it gets, it, the politics start getting weird and, and, yes. and religion and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think that wine is the ultimate drink for a pandemic. 
And so, and so I think that, I think that people in their homes will find comfort with, you know, a nice glass of Chablis or, you know, pop or Cab Franc from Halcyon or, you know, (laughs) uh, just, you keep naming some of the, you know, ultimate, you know, the, the, the classics of the world, you know, and, and people will enjoy them. So I think that this moment, this time of reflection is a great moment for us to be consuming wine and, and introducing it to people who maybe haven't had a lot of exposure to it. Well, I, I appreciate the optimism. I think we all, we all need some right now uh, because when we look to many of our elected officials, uh, there is no reason for optimism really ever, but especially in a time like this. So I'm, I want to wrap things up with, you know, if you are fielding questions from a consumer and they're asking you what they can do, uh, you know, on their own, what is a, a thing that they can do every week to make a big difference uh, for the California wine industry in particular? I mean, is it just uh, buying a, a bottle directly from the winery? Is that the best thing that they can do right now? Yes. Yeah. And they get the I mean, added I, I, benefit I, 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 of having a drink. They get the added benefit of getting a delicious bottle of wine to drink. I mean, yeah. how many things in the world can you say that you spent 20 to $35 on something and you got something so delicious in return? I, I, you know, I don't know. Exactly. No, you can't. Not many things. <laughs> but I mean, you know what? And, and a lot of, uh, we've got, a lot of us have more time on our hands. I mean, I know we don't really, but it's like, we're kind of, we're, we've slowed down a little bit right now. So buy a bottle from a small producer or a family owned producer or one of the bigger producers, I don't care. And reach out to them and strike up a, an internet conversation and, and we have where things have slowed down. Like we have time to connect, even though we can't do it in person. Maybe that's the great irony of this is that we've slowed down and we're stuck at home. And maybe now is actually the time where we can connect the most. Man, you are, you're speaking my language right now. And, uh, I love that idea that if you buy a wine, especially directly from a winery, uh, and you know, find them on find them on social media, email them, whatever it is, uh, it could be a really fun time for consumers to find a new favorite winery. It's a great time for wineries to connect more to their consumers than maybe they ever have. Um, you know, I know that uh, Hardy over at uh, Dirty and Rowdy invited some people that bought certain wines directly from him to a private zoom video chat and they all did a live tasting. You know, that's really awesome. Uh, I love how creative people are getting uh, because they need to. And we're going to, I truly believe that it's going to be tough, kind of tough sledding there for a little bit. Once we get to the other side of this whole situation, turning the country back on, turning the, you know, the machine back on is going to be difficult and it has Mm -hmm. to be done at some point. Obviously we all know that. Uh, we hope it's done with safety in mind and health in mind. But on the other side, like the true other side, once we've gotten through the initial bumps, uh, I hope that, and I and I believe that, we will reach a point where 
wineries are more resourceful than ever. Uh, the wines are made in a more thoughtful way with regards to the market and the consumer uh, than they have been. And, you know, we can, we can truly treat this as a long-term positive, you know, if, if yes. we can just get through the initial bumps. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously there'll be hardships for, for people, um, you know, like not even when it comes to business, but you know, with, health issues and course, obviously, you know, our hearts go out to them. Um, but yes, I think that once we make it through this, um, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a always an optimist. And I think that, um, there's a lot of good that can happen during these even darkest hours where we can have some self-reflection and think about, how we've been living and and see how we can improve in in the years to come. Well, Tyler, thank you very much for joining me today. I hope, uh, I hope everybody who listens to this uh, goes online and buys a bottle of Halcyon right now. The wines are delicious. The wines are killer, if, especially if you like uh, jalapenos, you know what I mean? Maybe a little, <laughs> maybe a little I mean, exactly. If you have an enchiladas, order, order <laughs> the know? California. Under the California for sure. Uh, I love Pepperoncinis it. Pepperoncinis too goes great with an oh, Italian hoagie. It. Mortadella. Oh, Dude, yeah. that sounds so good right now. Oh my actually. god, with a bunch oh of mayo on like a, <laughs> a roll. Yeah, that little olive oil and vinegar. Oh man. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, be well, brother. I really appreciate it. Uh, to everybody, again, uh, you know now what you can do to help support the California wine industry. Please make a point and go and do it. Uh, we need you, and we will continue to need you as we work our way through this. That is the episode uh, today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Nate earlier for joining me. Uh, this has been the Ticket to the Palette podcast. I will see you 